when we lose sight of what the liturgy is, then all of a sudden it becomes it becomes everything, and so it, it becomes nothing. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. This is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave, the Apostle of the Atonement, Van Bickle. How you doing, Dave? No, I, I'm good, but that's really, that title belongs to you, Gomer. I mean, it really does. It really does. You did does. get me excited about the Atonement, and I'm kind of obsessing over it now, but um, <laughs> I mean, not about the Atonement in general. I was always happy about that. Like, it's a good thing. <laughs> But yeah, just the good. topic of the theology of the atonement, I am getting really nerding out on. So yeah, it's been awesome. You told me to get this book, Margaret Turek. I really Margaret loved Turk. it. It's, yeah, it was so good. Book. I, good book. I loved it. Yeah, it was really good. But um, but we're not yeah. here to talk about that book. No, 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 no. no, no we no. are here to talk about a book called Solemnities, celebrating a tapestry of divine beauty. That's right. And to illustrate that divine beauty, to incarnate that. We are joined by three very special guests, which is going to be epic because we've never had this many people in one room. I feel like I'm in an elevator with, uh, Ed, we're just going to make the best of it. We're just crammed in here together. We're going to make it awesome. We got uh, Chris Carstens, who those who you listen to Catching Foxes, he was on for uh, a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, and we walked through um, some of the major principles of the liturgy. So Chris is here, and then we have Dennis McNamara, who is a co host of their podcast um the liturgy guys podcast and oh. then we have alexis katarna alexis is you teach music sacred music at the cathedral high school down here in um in houston for the ordinary the first official cool. high school of the ordinary to the no Theater. way that is awesome yeah. Okay. yeah she's awesome i just heard her i made my wife go i was like honey i know you want to stay home with the Ooh. kids but you are coming to this talk. And she uh, absolutely loved it. She talked, uh, Alexa spoke at a local parish. So awesome. So happy to have you three on to talk about this great book. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Great. Happy to be here. You see, this <laughs> yeah. is the funny part. It's like, uh, right. you ever see that show? Uh, wow, gosh. Uh, Circle gets a square. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's like we're every, one by one, someone has to, you all have to give your replies. So this is going to be fun. We're laughing. We're learning. Chris is the Paul Lind of uh, the right. podcast world. So. There you go. <laughs> I don't know who that is. That's from Hollywood Squares. You're talking about Hollywood. Thank oh, you, okay. Hollywood Squares. Okay. To Paul okay. Lind. That's awesome. I know, uh, Chris, you've been on Gomer's other podcasts, and I just prefer that we not mention that anymore on this okay, podcast. Yeah, okay. It's just the other one, though. Hey, but I'm really excite, excited about the book. Um, you know, I I didn't I didn't like kind of see it coming. Gomer knew exactly who you guys were and everything, and kind of nerded out on this, but I started peeling through it and I'm super excited, particularly from an evangelization standpoint. And I'll just kind of throw it out there that I think one of the problems we get right now in evangelization in the Catholic church in America is we have this idea that the Protestant church is really good at evangelization. So let's do what they do. <laughs> And for years, I've kind of been screaming like, no, 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 let's double down on the Catholic. And so I like ate this book up. Like I loved this idea of helping people to kind of remember what we should have been doing all along. Um, and so, yeah, I just couldn't be more excited about it. When you were writing it, did you, I mean, even have an, uh, did you have a thought about evangelization at all? Or was this more about like faithful Catholics? I want to help them more. Because I think it's going to be evangelistic. Well, I, 
when I started drafting my part, so this book has, is by Dennis and Alexis and I or me, whatever, the three of us. Uh, so I wrote this, the, the section on kind of the biblical, uh, historical, liturgical part, and then Dennis wrote on beautiful art from the tradition and Alexis how, how to how to live this. And so when I did my part, first of all, I admit that if somebody said, pop quiz, how many solemnities are there? I would have got the answer wrong. I didn't think there were that many, right. that there were 17. I would have guessed probably a dozen or something like that. But I know that when I uh, drafted my part, I guess I, w- I was surprised by a lot of things. And so Dave, I don't think I was really thinking about evangelization. I was kind of happily uh, surprised at what I discovered just for myself. That, wow. There, but you know, to your point, there's a lot of great stuff here that is just kind of in one ear, out the other that uh, you don't stop and notice. So um so no, I wasn't thinking about evangelizing other people. I was busy, I guess, being evangelized uh, myself. <laughs> That's cool. That's a good way to put it. And I think most people think of solemnities, especially if they're holy days of obligation. It's like, oh, I have to go to church in the middle of the week or else it's a mortal sin. Like That's the minimum, right? <laughs> to say the church presents the mysteries of the faith and the mysteries of salvation to us and gives us the opportunity to meditate upon them. Nativity of John the Baptist. I mean, who ever thinks of that one, especially Eastern Christmas we got, but Nativity of John the Baptist, why is that so important? And so uh, to see uh, in some of these artworks, the details that the artists put in, which mean they understood the theology of the feast day. There's one tiny little picture in the back of the resurrection image by Raphael, and you would never notice it. It's a little uh, spring that's feeding a lily. And I had was like, well, I knew lilies about Easter, but what I I found in doing research was that the, the lily bulb is a brown, dried up looking dead thing, you know, before you plant it. Then you put it in the ground, and then it's watered, and then it rises up triumphant, like these trumpets, you know, um, proclaiming the resurrection. I was like, oh, yeah, in the ground, dead, but then coming out of the ground, just like Christ coming out of the tomb. I said, oh, man, the, the, the images of uh, salvation are all through creation and not just in the calendar of the church. They're, they're everywhere we look. Yeah, that, you know, I had the same kind of experience of deepening uh, my own personal understanding of the solemnities and for our family. So we did some of this stuff, um, you know, in the section about how to live this uh, within your family or domestic church. We did some of that already in our family with our girls. We, you know, braided Easter breads and everything. And I have this Ukrainian daughter's cookbook that has in the recipe uh, it has a description of Christ as the bread of life and everything in this particular cookbook and what you put in your basket for the blessing of foods at church. And so while we did some aspects of this, I had never thought about what you could do to extend the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, uh, for instance, or John the Baptist. I mean, you know about the idea of people have these John the Baptist fires, um, but to really enter into that and understand the connection between that and the sacred heart um, and live that out as a, a community, I think, is a really beautiful experience to then deepen what are these signs and symbols that we bring into our home to really understand this. Yeah, it's so fascinating right now to hear, like, we keep talking about the nativity of John the Baptist, because I had never even heard of it in my entire life until one of your former students, Alexis, uh, Father David Hust, um, was here at my parish and we were talking with youth ministry and you know, we had just come out of this COVID year and I'm rebuilding and I had to hire all new youth ministers. And these were folks who were at a classical Catholic school in Denver and now they're doing youth ministry. So they have that kind of classical Catholic understanding and, and the centrality of the liturgy. And then they come into youth ministry setting. It's like, okay, how do we adapt and adopt, you know, and, and kind of feed these things. And one of them was, you know, let's do a big 
bonfire for the nativity of John the Baptist. And we had never, I didn't even, I don't know anything about it. So we pull out our big bonfire pit thing that we use for the Easter vigil bonfire. We put it right in our piazza, which is in front of a Marian fountain that we have in front of our church. And we had around a hundred high school youth that came to that mass with their families. And then, uh, and then we did the bonfire with the prayers and all this stuff and Father David wearing like 37 pounds of vestments and 100 degree weather in front of a giant bonfire. And then we did this uh, and it was awesome because this was something that had never been a part of anyone. Like, I don't even know if it ever got mentioned because I, you know, I'm sure it did, but I, you know, never heard it. And then we had this ex- communal experience, of course. And then it's the day before our kids go off to a Steubenville youth conference. So it was like, let's all come here first and get the weekend celebrated liturgically. So it kind of reframed everything. Right. And it was awesome because they already had this idea of connecting the sacred liturgy to their, you know, experience of going off to conference to youth group to John the Baptist. Father David gave, of course, like a four hour long homily on St. John the Baptist. And it was just awesome because this thing that I had never heard of all of a sudden became a shining moment for our youth ministry families. And I think that's awesome, right? That's what we want to see, right? So what are what, what are the rankings, right? Because that's a big thing in liturgical years. We have rankings of different days. So uh, kind of from lowest to highest, what are the rankings of, uh, of feast days? And I'm looking to get an optional memorial for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your local church, that optional memorial, Mike, would be a solemnity. So that's, that's right. true. Oh. Aim for that optional memorial. So. Yeah, the church's liturgical calendar can be one of the most confusing things of the liturgy. Uh, I think just because it's so like literally intangible. I mean, you can all the other liturgical stuff you can see or hear or taste or smell or things like that, but you can't to the calendar. And so it's always it's kind of had a tradition of being uh, you know pretty nebulous. And I think uh, this is a bigger answer than you wanted. Uh, Maybe you've heard of this. Some of the some of the preconciliar rankings of the calendar were singles and doubles and semi doubles and doubles of the first class and things like right. that. And I've never really come to grips with trying to understand that, <laughs> unfortunately. But today, the rankings. Uh, so first, you have a weekday, ordinary weekday. Sometimes they're called ferial days, and even weekdays have different internal rankings themselves. But after that, you have your optional memorials. So these are so, for example, Saint Blaise is an optional. Uh, memorial and so that would be that'd be the first one uh, after the weekdays so weekdays are the absolute lowest what is what is it feria what feral 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 feral, your beard is feral yeah my children are feral too (laughs) um but yeah feral i don't know what is that does that mean i think it still means festive alexis or dennis what does feral mean and you know yep festive does it? Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So as Survey the, says Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your optional memorials are first. And then after that, uh, as you kind of go up the ladder, you have uh, memorials. Francis of Assisi is one such. Then you keep going up and the, the, the greater of importance they are either to the universal or to the local church or the parish church, the higher in ranking they are. So then you have feasts. And again, all of these have their own internal things. You have Feasts of the Saints, but you also have Feasts of the Lord. Uh, so those uh, are next up. Uh, then you have Solemnities. And only, the only thing higher than Solemnities are Sundays. And sometimes the Solemnity Sunday, they're connected. So some mm, 
Right. Solemnities are on Sunday. Some Sundays are solemnities, but sometimes they're they're not related. But uh, yeah, solemnities is uh, right at the top, or at least you know right up there with uh, Sundays. And yeah, apparently there's 17 of these things uh, in the Roman calendar. So that was one of the things I learned during, during this book. <laughs> and one of the favorite uh, lines I came across when I was teaching course on the liturgical year was Pope Pius XI put the Feast of Christ the King in the calendar, and it was meant to be a marker against World War One, World War Two. You know, this, this this Christian civil war is what he called these European wars, and he wanted to remind them all that Christ was the King. And he said in the document proclaiming the feast that nobody reads documents of popes, right? So here he is writing a document saying nobody ever reads documents that popes write. So I have to put it in the liturgical year to bring it to the life of the people. And so you have this notion that the most important uh, feasts of the liturgical year are at this high rank, and they're meant to be brought to people who are Sunday, daily mass, feast days holidays of obligation, whatever it is, to let the, um, the great mysteries of salvation, which are so immense, you know, you can't just do it 45 minutes, 50 minutes a week on Sunday to let them roll out through the year. And then the next year, when you do them again, you're a year older, you've read a little more, you experience everything differently. And so again and again, the salvific mysteries of Christ are presented to you in the readings, in the homily, you know, in art, and then you take those things out into the world and take it to your dinner and your dessert and your processions. And so I think we really got a great trio here of people who know what they're talking about and also that give voice to this life of the church, that there's an invisible reality, there's a liturgical experience, and then that flows out into the world in really delightful ways, flowers and, and food and dancing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the yeah. church, we like, we like creation and we like to enjoy it. Yeah, you know, they talk about uh, enculturation of the liturgy. And sometimes I think it means like, you know, for some people, it means, you know, shredding the liturgy so it looks like the everyday life of the people. But I think the Europeans had it best. Liturgy becomes enculturated when it when a day becomes, it gets its own pastry. I think that's the, the heart of the gospel. When there is a right, the Alexis, heart, I think that's yes, the heart yes, of Yes, exactly. That's actually the the mystery of the atonement, that right there. <laughs> just, yeah. I think, um, you know, there is like kind of a, I think, flawed movement to make the liturgy of the eucharist evangelistic which i I don't think it was ever meant to be evangelistic and that's not to say that the liturgy is not pedagogical and that's the thing is that there are people um like from the 18th century right who knew their faith better than people who had access to the internet and to great books into the catechism maybe they didn't even read but they experience the liturgy in this way and they know their faith inside and out because of that and i love that aspect of this I think that that was part of it. Like, you know, a lot of these feast days I knew about and the solemnities I knew about because somebody gave me a gift of like the Dom Prosper Granger's commentary, you know, on liturgy. And so I would like go to mass thinking like, oh, today we're going to celebrate this. And then it wouldn't, (laughs) they wouldn't really make a big deal out of it, you know? And it's such a, we've impoverished the, the church by not taking these things more seriously. Yeah, one of our, our hero, liturgical heroes is David Fagerberg, who taught the Liturgical Institute for a while and then at Notre Dame. And he wrote a little book called The Christian Meaning of Time. And he makes mm. the point that time is a creature. It doesn't have legs and walk around, but it was created by God so that we could have time to ponder where we want to be for eternity, right? So it was a sign of God's mercy, God, his mystery. Unlike the angels who had supernatural intellect and didn't need time to decide, uh, we need time. So uh, part of using that time is pondering the mysteries of the faith liturgically and then living them out uh, in the world. And so it's easy to sort of get legalistic about a calendar 
Um, but also say, well, God gave us this calendar so we know where the, what we're choosing when we choose for or against him and hopefully see how delightful it is to, to say yes to him. Cool. I was talking with, oh gosh, how do I say this? Uh, he who shall not be named from a different podcast. And one of the things that we were talking about, uh, desert joy, which is kind of like how the Old Testament characterizes Israel's hope. It's like, hey, everything is terrible, but we have joy in the Lord, not joy because of our circumstances. And I just went to a prison and I gave this whole, so the whole episode of Catching Foxes that just was released is all on this this concept. And he made this comment to me. He was like thinking about desert joy and wilderness joy and all this stuff. And he said, you know, I really think that our modern world with cars and being isolated, like I get into these little air conditioned boxes. I don't need to deal with anyone. I can be completely isolated from everyone. He said, I wonder if that's why we don't experience joy because we don't experience other people. And if I treat my church and the liturgical calendar that way, I'm isolated. Whereas like, if we really lean into the liturgical calendar, we're leaning into feasting and fasting. And he just like randomly threw out this thing. And I was like, you son of a, that's literally what my podcast is going to be about with uh, the, the liturgy folks. And so, yeah, like, let's talk about how do we, how do we take this into our home? How do we make this real? Cause I see this. It, it's funny to think of it. Liturgy as an antidote to homo solus, to being alone, right? The lone, the lonely man, right? Well, I would say um, first, you know, that the the liturgical experience as this uh, communal experience sometimes seems to end for so many people, right? You leave the end of the mass and then you go back into your isolation, right? You're standing there mm. with a whole other group of people uh, worshiping together at the same time. And then you you leave and it's like that aspect that has connected us together, right? Our union with each other through Christ uh, in the sacred liturgy has somehow come to an end. And I think most people don't realize that that continues the whole rest of, you know, your the whole rest of your day. And bringing those moments closer and closer and closer together in time will really contribute to that aspect of, we talked about on Thursday also when you were there, the idea of Christian joy as this contemplative gaze. And so from St. John Paul II's Dies Domini, how he talks about joy as that rest of the creator's gaze on his creation and taking those moments to stop within the midst of the rest of our day, our busyness and our selfishness in a certain sense, and freeze and have liturgical moments outside of the mass, outside of going to the church, having them in our home. So whether that is the celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours, or simply reading the collect or reading the readings to together again as a family, gives us that moment to stop and to contemplate so that we can enter more deeply into what is actually a continued communal experience, even if we're doing this at our kitchen table, you know, with four people, right? Um, that we're yeah. still united in a sense with everyone else that we were uh, in the sacred liturgy when we were at mass. Yeah. And this is one of the great insights of the 20th century liturgical theology was the rediscovery of the mystical body of Christ. It's kind of me and Jesus mentality that, that came about after the reformation was if I go to church and if I'm in the right state, I get communion and people to my left and my right, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But the idea that came up was Eucharist is not a thing you watch the priest do. And if you're good enough, you get the spiritual vitamin pill called the Eucharist. It was an ecclesial act of the whole body of Christ sacramentalized by the head and the members. And so it's a corporate act. And um, some of the writers would even mention how confession you think is the most one-on-one -on -one time there is, but in the old version of absolution, and it's still optional in the current version, it's it made the angels and saints help you and free you from your sins. So even confession is a corporate sacrament. Right. 
And the argument they made was, if you look to your left and look to your right and don't give a darn about the person next to you in mass, well, how are you going to look at the poor? How are you going to look at the needy? How are you going to look at your kids? And so liturgy was the privileged place to practice recognizing your fittingness of being together with others. And then that would be the place where you would live it out. And so I think the solemnities in many ways are like that. Many saints, many great images from the past, from time, things that tell us we're not alone on this earth and that the saints are there with us, modeling for us and praying for us. Mm. Awesome. That was awesome. How, how shall we, we got uh, all saints coming up as the next, the next big one. How should we celebrate all saints? <laughs> Go to mass. Go to mass first. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, here's another thing I learned, Dennis, you were talking about the, the solemnity of Christ the King. Uh, that was originally the what was it? The last Sunday in October, mm-hmm. when uh, when the feast uh, uh, came about. And I guess the the idea was is they wanted it there because it was so close to the feast of All Saints, okay. uh, because the saints are the ones who you know let God reign in them, and so were were holy. So um, I don't know. Maybe that connection is uh, you know to. To begin with, or you know, make the high point, you know, the the liturgy of the church, uh, where we, uh, you know, we, that's kind of our, our our future feast day. You know, if you're aiming for that optional memorial, Mike, uh, this will be your. Uh, or may, maybe you don't get that proper title, but this will be our our future feast day. So to to begin with the liturgy and uh, to let that uh, you know be that womb that forms us, that school that teaches us, and then. You know, let that uh, through contemplating sacred art, like uh, Dennis writes about, or some of the some of the feasts, some of the activities in the home or in daily life that Alexis talked about. So, so not like a Superman costume. That's not. That's not really. <laughs> you do that the day before. The <laughs> it's a good analogy, though, right? I mean, the uh, the the saints are more powerful than Iron Man or right. Hulk or a Thor or anything like that, and uh, you know, so. Your kids or, or you, More powerful Dave, you know, than might Hulk. want that costume, yeah, but on, the on. true, the true uh, uh, power comes from sanctity and divinization and Christ likeness, which is what that that day celebrates. Yeah, <laughs> one of the great writers on icons, Leon, I think of Dokimov, he said that saints are not supermen, but people transformed by divine life. Right, so you don't become just powerful on earth; you become radiantly divine by being brought to the higher level of your own capacity to share in divine life. So the picture that I chose for all saints in the book is actually entitled The Trinity and Its Glory. And so, well, yeah. okay, well, is this about the Trinity or is this about all saints? But what you see is the persons of the Trinity at their, at their thrones, then surrounding them are angels and saints and religious and humans. And you see David and you see Moses. And then they're all arranged almost like the door of a Gothic cathedral, where when you look in the portal, you see all the angels and saints standing at the door. And this is why Christ's body is compared to the temple in scripture, because the temple is made of living stones. Christ's body, us, are the living stones. And then when we're brought to glory, we have this image of heaven, which is God who's taken all of creation back to himself. And then the church building starts to symbolize that. And then paintings can symbolize that. So one of the things that art can do that all these other things can't do is they show us the heavenly beings who are worshiping with us as members of the mystical body too. And so therefore, it's not really optional. It's an essential, I would say, thing to remind us and allow us to participate in the full notion of what liturgical worship is and, and who's there and what it's like. That's that's great. And it also makes you look at modern church buildings differently. Um, 
I, so I have a, I have a strange How, question. Dave? How does it make you look at a modern no, church building? Please tell that, us, Gomer. Dave. No, Gomer, last time you and I talked about liturgy, we got into a little <laughs> argument, and I don't, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> so so I, I, have, I have kind of a strange question, and maybe it's not necessarily I'm looking for an answer. It's more of like what, what your thoughts are. Um, you know, uh, we, I work with a lot of people who are you know, severely spiritually afflicted, and there's one of the, one of the kind of like – traditions in the ministry that priests carry out like in their ministry of exorcism or stuff like that is we latch on to a lot of feast days because there's a sense that there's greater grace on these days right and and i i think like interestingly like you could contemplate the the baptism of john the baptist any day of the year and there'd be grace there but is there anything written or do you get a sense like that the overall thought of the church is that there's greater grace in contemplating it with the calendar, like with that feast day, like that there's a greater grace. And, and you kind of see this like with like Marian titles, right? Like one of the reasons that Marian titles are like the dogmas were proclaimed is there's an unleashing of grace with those proclamations of, of the Marian titles. Like, do you kind of get a sense of that? Like that there's a greater grace of asking St. Francis intercession on the solemnity or not. I, maybe I'm being, I think childish. this gets into the realm of ex opera parentis, Chris, but Alexis, what do you, what do you think? You know, there's two distinctions in sacramental theology about the objectivity of grace, ex opera operato is a Latin term by the work worked. It means if matter form and intention is there and the priest does what he's supposed to do, the, the sacrament is confected, but you could be utterly indifferent to it. Right. So right. suddenly it's, St. Francis's feast day and you are in Assisi and you are going to mass, all the grace is available, but you're different, right? You're opened up to this excitement to say yes to the Lord. That's called ex opere operantis by the work of the worker. And so I think the church recognizes that, you know, there is a kind of heady objectivity to sacramental theology, matter, form, intention, transubstantiation, like it's all true. But the average person wants to know what's wrong with me and what do I do about it? And how do I go and receive the grace that I want? And the Sometimes I think, you know, you need the football game, which is very serious and has rules, and you need the pep rally too, which is kind of formless and exciting, uh, but both of them make you excited about uh, your school or your team or whatever. And in that, that way, is a fantastic these feast days are great for getting us to remember, first of all, and second then to be open to receive the grace. I, I wonder if it's related to, you know, just in your natural life. I mean, you can celebrate the births of your children any day right. or the marriage to your spouse any day. But when their actual birthday comes around or your actual anniversary comes around, you know, it's just, uh, uh, it, it's more significant and it's more meaningful and it gives you a chance to, you know, appreciate and thank God, you know, for, for those gifts, even though you can do it all the time. But yeah, I think when that one day of the year comes around, just in our natural lives, when Independence Day comes around, when Thanksgiving comes around, mm-hmm. you can be thankful for these gifts at any time. But yeah, it really helps us, us, like Dennis was saying, you know, it helps uh, the kind of the recipient. It helps the individual to open himself to, to to the graces to in a greater way. And I think by by being more open to it, you're more open to kind of the uh, the actions or the activities that would continue to make you open to it. Right? Not that it's about doing a whole bunch of things. Right? Not that you need to do a whole bunch of extra works on the solemnity to receive more grace, but uh, that intentionality 
uh, of that day might lead to more sacramental experiences or experiences of the sacramentals, right? Uh, receiving a particular blessing or bringing your herbs to be blessed or something, you know, working in a way like the sacraments, quasi-sacraments, um, that uh, you're, you're opening yourself to more moments uh, that are intentional in that way. Yeah, yeah. I always bring my herbs to mass. Yeah. Always do. Because <laughs> we're lazy, right? We get tired, you know? Oh, do this again. Remember this. And to right. put yeah. lights on the house. I think how kids are so excited about Christmas. I mean, they don't know the word incarnation, but they know Christmas is awesome, right? And so we need these things to keep us uh, energized and open to these graces. I like that idea of connecting the the <laughs> your example of the pep rally yeah, to the too. formal football game. That, yeah. I think that's great. But uh, what happens when the football game and the pep rally become one, right? Like that's where that's where we lose both, like the importance of both, right? And uh, Chris, you had said on catching, oh gosh, on the podcast that shall not be named, uh, you had said something that I can't get out of my head, um, which was, you know, we, you know, the best thing we can do to have sacred liturgies is to foster a really strong devotional life. But when people don't have a devotional life, we end up demanding the liturgy to look more and more like individuals' devotional life. And me and Dave say something similar about evangelization. Like when the church doesn't engage outside of the mass, in the world, in evangelization, what ends up happening is we demand that mass become the primary vehicle of initial proclamation, right? And apologetics and welcoming. And, you know, we got greeters, we got parking lot ministers, we got the whole thing. And it's not to say like, but people think I'm like a, a curmudgeon because I'm like, no, 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 that's not the place for this. But it's like, no, there really is a place. And I really want people to do it. Yeah. But when we lose sight of what the liturgy is, then all of a sudden it becomes, it becomes everything. And so it, it becomes nothing. And so in pulling out these days, the rankings, the solemnities, okay, we're going to take these 17 days and we're going to focus because the whole church, the whole, well, the Roman rite is focusing specifically. So yeah, I'm very incorporative of our inclusiveness, Alexis, you know, you, you're by ritual we're trying to keep it going. But like, when you think about this stuff, like globally, the church is honoring Saints Peter and Paul or the assumption of the Virgin Mary. And it's like, okay, if the global church is doing this, if the kingdom is doing this, why am I not? Right? How can I incorporate this? Not like that's where I think, honestly, and I know we're, we can be so hesitant to do it. And I actually find great grace and word on fire's liturgy of the hours because it made the liturgy of the hours accessible to a chump like me. You know, you were talking, Chris, about all the complications with the feast days and stuff. I'm like, I'll take that over using the ribbons. I know that's a stale joke that people use, but I'm me like, too. that was totally me. And so when I wake up and at 530 in the morning, I'm reading morning prayer. I'm like, oh, it's the feast of St. Bartholomew today. Okay, cool. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just kind of casually thinking about that. Or I make a note to my priest to say an extra prayer for him and to greet him on the feast of St. John Vianney, you know, and these things like they really do affect our day. Right. And that's where this book is so important because this is like the 17 biggest days of the year. We want to make sure it affects your life. So let's add a little intentionality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you, the people who would read it would think of it as kind of a user's guide for the solemnities of the church that gives, you know, biblical, historical, liturgical insights, helps them to meditate on, on the beauty of God, but also gives them some ways to, to kind of translate that from the liturgy into home. And so it's not a, you know, abstract academic piece. It's really meant to 
to, to having a, a change in how we live and how we think and how we love each other uh, help us make us more joyful and more holy all, all the while. So I hope that's what people find in the book. Mm-hmm. And I tried to pick images that had a Where's Waldo quality uh, to them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of the 19th, 20th century inches, uh, images, you see a saint standing there looking holy, and you're like, okay, what now? Some of the ones <laughs> that you'll see here a lot are from the 15th century. Uh, where they have right. this medieval sense of backgrounds and plants and, you know, the virgin sitting on a cushion and there's five different plants in the ground in front of her. One of them is strawberries, which means something. One of them is a, is a unicorn. And it's like, what are they doing there? And so I think people will find that looking at these, these images and seeing how every little detail that maybe you didn't even notice starts to layer and it becomes like a great wine or a delicious food. You know, if you ever watch Chopped, they're always judging the food by how many layers of flavor you have. And I think we can judge art that way too. You know, you see these mm. layers of meaning and it becomes kind of a delicious thing to look at and uh, think about. Awesome. I love that. I, I think that uh, it's something that modern man is yearning for desperately is good, beautiful art. And, and usually the church filled that void and we have to do that once again. I think that's so important. And I think there is something too about that. Just, uh, the depth of a picture, you know, um, because now, you know, when you, when you see a picture and you kind of just gloss over it, we're not taught to see art the way you're supposed to, you know, you you can, you can learn to appreciate art and you can learn to appreciate this. And and when you see the depth behind it and all the meaning and everything, it it really is like, it's like a little moment of grace, you know, it's incredible. Uh, I remember when Cardinal, um, Oh gosh, uh, Dolan up in uh, New York City had renovated the pipe organ in the cathedral, and there's right, this atheist that, yeah. dude that uh, he's really funny. He's a commentator. He teaches at NYU on stock market stuff, right? So he's going on and he's talking. About, he quotes Pope Francis. He's like, "I'm an atheist, but I like Pope Francis," and he does some quote. And then at the very end, he's like, "Now here in my hometown, we have uh, Cardinal Dolan who said that their hundred million dollar renovation of their." church and organ is for the poor people of of uh new york city and he rolled his eyes and then that ended the show and i was like no but here's the deal like where do the poor experience right two thousand years of culture and all this stuff it used to be and, and i used to think about this when i would go to italy and you see these gorgeous churches that are empty i'm like this is this is where like if i want to see fine art i can what google it and that's the same thing as seeing a painting in real life? No. Like, wh- where is this? Like, where is the depth and the riches of of all this stuff? And it was given away at every liturgy in the church. Like, you could come and hear organ music and hear polyphonic music. Still don't even know what that means. You can hear all of these things right now. You're not. At, uh, you shouldn't be hearing an opera or you shouldn't be hearing a rock concert. But at the same time, you're getting this insanely delicate, layered experience of what it means to be human what it means to be alive. The incarnation of Christ made manifest like layers. Like I love that notion of layers. Someone said, if I had a, a computer print out an exact to the micron replica of a master painting, uh, isn't that the same thing? And the guy, he was asking uh, Jordan Peterson and he said, what's the difference? And Jordan Peterson said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm like, who thinks a lot about that? And he said, it's something like time. A painting is time in, in, in paint it's not just the image that shows up but then even more than that if you think like the people crafting these paintings are thinking about every bush and how that bush can communicate something even more about the mystery 
right? The strawberries, the lilies, the all of this stuff. And then I look at my life and I'm like, well, let's just flatten two dimensional as you could possibly get. And that's where the liturgy comes in, right? Like, isn't that isn't that where 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 our hearts are meant to find that rejoicing or that fasting, right? Like this rhythm that the church gives us, it's so powerful. And it's experiential. I mean, Chris, yeah. And, and others have heard me use this relation of the uh, liturgy to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory many times. <laughs> it hit me one day, you know, in the first movie, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally they get to go into the, through the door and there's a chocolate river and there's gumdrops falling off trees. And at that moment, they're not looking out the window saying, oh, what's the world like? Or let me read a book about chocolate rivers. They are there delighting <laughs> and experiencing this whole yeah. thing. You know, this is Main Street and Disneyland too. You know, nobody who goes in the door of Disneyland says, oh, I wish I could be looking at the parking lot. They are, they are lost in the experience of community, of this sort of sense of magic. And so if our liturgy is dull and boring, you know, if, if Disney World were as interesting as a typical Sunday liturgy, they'd, they'd be bankrupt, right? Or if Charlie's <laughs> Chocolate Factory had no candy in it, you say, well, what's the point of this? And so our idea isn't just we know stuff, but we actually walk around in the mysteries. We hear the mysteries, we see the mysteries, we smell the mysteries, we touch things, touch the hand of the neighbor. And so that it's not merely intellectual, but it's experiential, which is a much more um, powerful and potentially transformative thing. You need to know in order to experience wealth, but you need to experience in order to know at the deepest level. Mm. I, I know just enough liturgists to know that I should be shocked by you comparing the liturgy to Willy Wonka's chocolate. Well, comparing is not equating. I, so. I would love to see you say it at a liturgy conference and just watch faces during Well, I got that idea from Ramona Gordini, who said the liturgy is the place where everything is brimming with supernatural life. So we, we have these analogies to it in the Emerald City. I mean, I, I just think the guy who wrote The Wizard of Oz must have read the book of Revelation because they're walking down the road yeah. and they're always seeing the Emerald City I love in the it. distance. I love We're it. Yeah. always seeing right. the heavenly Jerusalem in the distance and we get to have a foretaste and of what. Wasn't uh, Romano Guardini's famous book on the liturgy called You've Got the Golden Ticket? I think that was, no, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Alexis, uh, you were going to say something real quick. Oh, no, I was just going to say that we, as a school teacher the last few years and, you know, working at starting a new school here, these are realities that we've talked about uh, very seriously about their relationship to children. So the idea that uh, children need to be entertained or something else is a little bit false because we we have the understanding that maybe they can't enter into the mystery or some people have the understanding that maybe they yeah. can't enter into the mystery and right. so we have to give them something that speaks at their level but we don't realize that the signs and symbols of the liturgy do speak to them right that the incarnational reality of all of these signs um, speaks to the very littlest among us and so when you have a procession with candles and they get to hold fire, um, that's a really big deal. And it's right. seared into yeah. their memory, <laughs> you know, uh, this activity. And so then they remember that day the next year and they remember that day the yeah. next year um, just because we got to walk around uh, with fire. Uh, you know, that those those little moments of every every piece of nature that is pulled in, every moment of beauty, the songs that they sing are all become part of their experience in their memory, um, but a, a real way that that they are able to connect with those particular days, enter into that mystery. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, cool. We're going to roll to a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back. Good folks listening to us, text 
EKSB to 33777, and the fine folks at Ascension will put you on our mailing list, which is very important now that we have switched to a seasonal show. Uh, very important because you don't know when we're, we're coming at you with all sorts of great content, interviews, individual shows that me and Dave do. It's going to be great. So text EKSB at 33777, and you'll get on that mailing list. Let's hear some fine words from our sponsor, Ascension Press, right now. Did you know that every single item in a Catholic church points us towards heaven? Make every visit to a Catholic church a powerful reminder of God's presence with a new book from Ascension, The Sacred That Surrounds Us by Andrea Zachman. The Sacred That Surrounds Us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. I hope you had a minute to hear about our fine friends from Ascension Press. They offer such awesome materials, and uh, we couldn't be more thankful to be a part of the Ascension Press community. One of those awesome resources that is coming out soon, we are interviewing the authors of Right Now, and this is going to be a highly practical book for every Catholic out there. I mean, it is, uh, it's like I think they described it as a how to guide of celebrating the solemnities. Uh, I, what's, what's your pitch? I mean, what is this book? If you want to just give like a quick kind of description of, of what someone's going to get when they order this, that would, I think that would help our audience. I would say it's a book that helps one understand and celebrate the liturgy more fully to meditate on the beauty of its mystery and then to incorporate it uh, beyond the liturgy into the rest of the day. And those are sort of the three principal divisions of each of each uh, of the chapters is it it's uh, reflections on the spirituality from the biblical, historical, liturgical part. And that, well, then. Dennis, so why don't you describe uh, the the second part of uh, each of the chapters? Yeah, it's a it's a small little book you can carry around, but uh, the second part is a meditation, uh, an interpretation of a piece of art that illustrates that solemnity. And so there are you know a lot of things that go on in the painting that you might not know. You see the primary narrative of Christ or the saint, and then all these things in the background, and you can really ponder the mysteries of that feast by looking at a piece of art. One of them that's the most simple, for instance, is the embrace of Peter and Paul for Saints Peter and Paul. And we start realizing, why are the two of them on a feast? You usually don't have two saints on a feast. But it goes all the way back to the first century when the different branches of Eastern and Western and Gentile and Jewish Christianity had to be brought together in what they called the Concord of the Apostles and the Council of Jerusalem. Like, oh, that's why Peter and Paul are embracing each other, not because they, they like each other, although hopefully they did, because the two of them were given by God to bring unity to the church from the whole history of the world, the Jews and the Gentiles, which God wanted to do. And you say, oh, man, I never thought two guys hugging could be about all that. And uh, <laughs> it really gives you a lot of things to think about. When me and Dave hug each other, that's what it's. it's, it's there's, a, there's a history there you could never understand. It would blow your mind. <laughs> Alexis, what about your application part of it? Sure. So the third uh, part of each section is uh, really an extension of the liturgy into the life of the domestic church. So into the family. And this is, I tried to write this section so that there were aspects uh, for someone who is single, for someone who's married and their kids are out of the house, or someone with little children, um, that there are aspects that anybody can enter into. So it's not just a, a Catholic crafts 
kind of section of the book or recipes or, or you know or anything like that there there are there are plenty of um, blogs and other books that you can look at for those aspects um, but things that we could do to bring community together so between families between groups of friends to extend the celebration of the liturgy into the home that's awesome that's awesome yeah, that's great one of the things that we're doing at my church this this kid he's just all, all on his own started bringing papers and leaving them at the front of the church. So immediately as a guy who's a cynical 17 year church worker, I'm like, Oh gosh, someone's leaving, you know, their weirdo unapproved apparition, you know, things <laughs> time to make a visit to the trash can. But what, so the, he ends up reaching out to the pastor and I end up meeting with him. And what he wants to do is make feast days more festive. And so what he just did on his own was he, the week of he researches a handful of feast days that are coming up that week, you know, optional memorials, whatever they are. And he'll print like a bio from some website. He'll get a bio of the saint and then he'll give four points for how this, like, you know, they died on this day, their feast days on this day. This is what they're the patron of. And this is a common prayer that people say to this saint or whatever. And I was like, Oh, this is great. And then he said, and I try to find like a piece of art, like sacred art to go with it. And I was like, Oh, oh, really? Oh, really? So you stole the idea of solemnities. Okay, I get it. But that's that's one of the things that this guy's trying to do is he says, uh, I started leaving them out for the homeschool families because you have these moms and dads that bring their kids to mass and, you know, they're optional memorials. Sometimes the, the, the gospel is, you know, they just want to give their three to five minute homily on that and they don't maybe emphasize the feast day as much. And all of a sudden now we have a whole bunch of people who are taking something like this home with them. And the fact that you three came up with original content focused on each of the major solemnities, this is going to make our lives, our liturgical lives, our Catholic lives so much easier because you're bringing the Paschal mystery into homes, right? Into artwork, into, we have to train, like this is part of discipleship, right? Is standing within the tradition that the church has given us. And you three in your own unique ways are doing that for the glory of God in the church, right? Like you're, you're, you're trying to educate people about the liturgy. You're, you're developing music and training people like all of these things that y'all are doing is what we need right now. So desperately in the church for people to live the Paschal mystery and to receive and be fed from the Paschal mystery and to just have it be this beautiful, um, I don't, I don't know, never ending reciprocity, this just constant giving, and receiving, giving and receiving. And so I want to thank you guys for this book. I think it's going to be, um, it's very simple. Like you said, it's a small book. It's not going to overwhelm people being no. like, oh, I don't understand what, you know, they're quoting all these crazy doc. No, no, no. It's like a few pages to walk you through the feast, beautiful artwork, descriptors, how to, how to make it your own. And I think that's so powerful. I agree. I couldn't agree more. I can't wait for my family to, uh, to be the the recipients of the fruit of this book. So uh, it comes out when? The book will be available for pre-sale by the end of September, and then it will ship in October. So you could have it as a Christmas present. Awesome. Nice. That's great. And again, uh, so check ascensionpress.com and you'll be able to to grab that book. Well, thank you guys so much for being on with us. And uh, I, I hope we get to do this again. This was a, this was great. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. On Catching Foxes. Oh! Don't listen to the other one. 
No turn to the dark side. Yeah. So uh, just want to say goodbye. Dennis and Chris have the podcast, the Liturgy Guys. Alexis, Alexis, do you have a podcast? Are you podcasting? I don't have a podcast. I'm a liturgy gal <laughs> over here. But You're no. a liturgy gal. <laughs> a competing podcast in the future, maybe. Just training. I'd be in deep people. trouble if I didn't get to say that I had the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College here in Atchison, Kansas, which is a great Catholic college you can send your kids to and not worry about their faith. In fact, they'll come home and teach you something, parents. So, uh, Send your kids here. Yeah, yeah. Be careful there, buddy. We bleed green and gold here. Yeah. Right. Yes, we will allow the younger brother of Franciscan <laughs> University a shout out. Benedict and College. <laughs> yeah. Green bespeaks the Ohio Valley. Uh <laughs> no, my godson went to Benedictine for a football scholarship and uh and uh he is a holy man. He's a holy man. So thank you all for coming on the show. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>